It's a full moon week. The full moon is taking place in the sign of Virgo and it's all happening near the planet Saturn. So it's very much a time to work on manifesting because Saturn is the real planet that makes things concrete, but it's also a time to process any grief which might otherwise stop you from being a powerful manifester. Welcome to the Mainly Moonology podcast. I'm your host, Yasmin Boland, an award-winning astrologer and the Sunday Times best-selling author of books including Moonology and creator of the Moonology Oracle Cards. My intention for this podcast is to help you understand how you can create your dream life using Mainly Moonology, the moon, as your guide. So I actually have an interview with someone amazing for you this week, I'll tell you about in a minute, that's going to chime in with all this Saturnian energy that's around. So this really is a very interesting full moon. It's about lessons that you need to learn. It could be about someone cramping your style uh, and it's a time to very much uh, try and be as mature as you possibly can. It's taking place in the sign of Virgo. So it's the full moon in Virgo, which we get when we have um, the sun in Pisces and the full moon in Virgo. So there's very much uh, a, sort of a, a strong feeling of push me, pull you there because it's the axis where, so Virgo is the planet, it's an earth planet, it's very grounded, it dots its I's and it crosses its T's, opposite the sun in Neptune, which is the dreamy, mystical energy that you're going to be feeling but because it's taking place near Saturn it's very important to work with this full moon uh, in such a way as to be really honest about anything you're sad about anything you're grieving anything you feel you've lost uh, once we start to release dramas release emotions once we work through our feelings at the full moon remember all our feelings come up once we do that, we actually clear them out. And once we clear them out, we become far more powerful manifestors. So that's the message I really wanted to give you for this full moon. Along with this interview that I did with the amazing Chris Carr, who is a fellow Hay House author. I actually had never met Chris. She's a very glamorous member of the, you know, Hay House alumni and uh, we happen to end up sitting at the same table at breakfast at the Hay House Mastermind. I probably mentioned this in the interview and I kind of got all my courage up and I said, Chris, can I interview on my podcast? And she's talking about a subject which happens to work really well with this week's full moon in the sign of Virgo just near Saturn, which is about processing grief. I really think it's worth listening to. I hope you enjoy it. So take it away, Chris. All right. So today I am so happy to welcome to the Mainly Moonology podcast the wonderful Chris Carr, who is a multiple New York Times bestselling author, a wellness activist and a cancer thriver. You don't hear that a lot. She's been called a force of nature by O Magazine, in other words, in Oprah's magazine, and named a, a new role model by the New York Times. Chris is also a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, 
recognizing the most influential thought leaders today and as well as appearing now on the mainly moonology podcast yes chris has also appeared on in glamour prevention scientific america good morning america today show C- cbs evening news the wall street journal forbes success super soul sunday own and the oprah winfrey show so there you go so welcome to the show chris thank you for being here Thank you for having me. It's good to be my, with you. My absolute pleasure. And so what we're talking about today is we're going to be talking about Chris's new book, which if I could just get it in focus here. I'm not a morning person. And it's actually spelt morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. So in other words, I'm not someone to sit around and feel sorry for myself. Mm. Although I think in the course of the book, you're going to be saying things like, but it's okay to sit around and feel sorry for yourself normally. Is that is that kind of the gist of it, that, you know, it's okay to, to, to mourn? Oh, yeah, 100% we have to mourn. Um, the title comes from the fact that I didn't think of myself as a mourning person because it was the one emotion I ran from consistently throughout the course of my life. I didn't want to be in touch with my grief because it was too painful. And it felt like, you know, there's a there's a lot of metaphors that that are are used in the grief world around waves um, and water, and it felt like the waves of grief would literally take me down and drown me if I allowed myself to feel them. But throughout the course of the book, one of the things that I talk about is the way out is through. There isn't a a moving on. There's a moving forward, and it's part of our healing cycle. And to not be afraid of emotions like grief and the other emotions that come with grief because grief doesn't, isn't a solo flyer. Yeah. You know, and, and we're not so- just talking about grief because someone dies, you know, it can be grief, you know, for the loss of a partner or a marriage. Um, I know someone who went through huge grief uh, when she, I mean, I don't want it to be identified by what I'm going to say, but I, I mean, it could have been anywhere in the world, but someone who was the editor of a magazine and the magazine got shut down, you know, at the start of like the decline of the publishing era. And I would say she grieved that hugely. So it doesn't have to be just because someone dies. Let's no, talk, it's lost. Well, just, just so people know, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about grief and loss, but I'm going to try and somehow show you how it can easily be tied in with the lunar cycle, which Chris said she likes that idea, so that's good. But let's talk about first the premise. So grief is when life goes to SHIT, and I think you say that you were sitting in the car park and your dad was really sick and you've been living with cancer for goodness goodness knows how many years and there was one other factor going on and it just all became too much and just to go with the, the water analogy, there was just a flood of emotions and a tidal wave of sadness took you over and you produced lots of tears and then you started to realise that that was actually healing. Is that is that a fair sort of assessment? Yes, that's one of the scenes in the book. We're all going to go through what I call life ruptures and it's the moment when the rug gets pulled out from under us. And you're absolutely right. It could be the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, a pet. It could be a changing identity. You know, a lot of women who are going through menopause are experiencing levels of grief. 
And so, but we live in a grief phobic, messy, emotions averse society. None of us or few of us have the tools that we need to survive storms of this magnitude. And so the book is really going through that journey. And each chapter is broken into a different theme with different stories of experiences or emotions and feelings that you may have that kind of catch you off guard. Because again, if we live in a society that shuns these emotions, then what do we do? First and foremost, we don't know how to face them. And secondly, what we will often do is run from them. We will try to control our lives more. We'll hustle harder. We'll work harder. We'll drink more. We'll do anything we need to do to stop the fear of the pain. Yeah. Okay. So let's take the example of someone who has loved and lost, because I know that's something that so many people go through multiple times in their life. So there's a few questions I wanted to ask you before we get on to the lunar cycle. Uh, and we are going to bring the law of attraction into this as well. But, you know, if hope springs eternal, you know, is there a point where people have to just say, you know what, forget it? What do you, where do you stand on that? Or is, you know, is false hope forget worse what? than no hope? Forget what? Um, the idea of hoping that things are going to work out fine rather than starting the grieving process, I suppose. Well, I think things ultimately do work out fine when we care for our emotions, right? We're not going to have everything we want in this lifetime. It's not possible. And I think that it's not healthy for us to expect the rainbows and none of the rain. And so I think as we learn to understand our emotions more and the fact that they're information and they're here to teach us, then we can get curious about them and learn how to take care of them. And I think through that caring process, that heart tending process is how we heal. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to read from page 101 of I'm Not a Morning Person. Embedded in our collective pursuit of happiness is the notion that we can have whatever we want, whenever we want, which is what you just said. In today's world, that often translates to something like, if only I put the right thoughts, effort and energy out there, I can attract whatever I desire and sidestep any of the bad stuff. Hey, universe, I'll take the rainbow, but not the rain, but hold the rain. Unfortunately, these magical thinking fantasies sometimes do more hard than good. So let's talk about that. Magical thinking. Now, I happen to know that you and Gabby Bernstein are quite good friends, aren't you? Yeah. And, of course, she's written a book called Super Attractor, which is basically, you know, feel good to feel good. I think people get confused between thinking, if I put in the right thoughts, efforts and energy out there, I can track whatever I want as opposed to doing your best to feel good in order to attract whatever you want. is that Does that come into this, this whole thing of when you're mourning, it's not about trying to pretend you're not sad, it's not about trying to pretend it's all going to be okay before you know it's going to be okay. It's about trying to find ways to feel good. I think it's about trying to find ways to tend to our hearts. We might not always feel good. And I think that the law of attraction is very powerful and it is also very misunderstood and misused. And it can be very um, difficult for people, especially people like, for example, patients. I remember one time when I was working with a makeup artist and she was 
teaching the law of attraction. And she was talking about how a cancer patient she knew didn't heal because she wasn't thinking the right thoughts and she ended up dying and it was her fault. So I would say that we have to be very thoughtful about how we use the law of attraction as teachers, because I think we can do more harm than good. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be putting out the best energy and doing our best to elevate our energy and to take care of ourselves. And of course, the more we are focusing on feeling good, the better life is, right? And so, but I think it, it's a fine line because when we focus on feeling good and we are afraid to feel our negative feelings or we're afraid to feel grief we're ultimately going to do ourselves more harm than good. Which is exactly where I wanted this conversation to yeah. go. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's where I was hoping it would go anyway. So, yes, yeah, so like for my part and the way I do moonology is that if we don't release our SHIT, then <laughs> we'll just manifest more SHIT because mm-hmm. you can't just stuff it down. So... You may not know, but in moonology, what we do is at new moon, we set our intentions, we make wishes, we make commitments to ourselves. And then at the full moon, two weeks later, we release it all to the divine. We surrender and we forgive. And then actually just before the new moon at the dark moon, we do kind of as well a purge. And in and in doing all of that work, you have to think about how you're feeling. So yeah. for me, you know, if people want to sort of try and, learn to deal with their grief with the moon as their guide they can do it because there's the full moon to release the grief but before you can release it you kind of have to acknowledge it beautiful and 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 process it so i wanted to ask you a couple of things as well about acceptance of where you are versus giving up you know you say in the book there's a difference between acceptance and giving up so just say for example um Let's talk about somebody who's lost their job, okay? There's acceptance and there's giving up. We have to be very careful, again, because I think many of us equate acceptance with giving up, with lowering our standards, with putting our dreams out to pasture, with settling. And from my perspective, acceptance is actually more so like owning where you are, owning how you feel, and owning your self-worth. And part of that is owning the reality of what's happening for you right now. And so, you know, I've had a long journey with acceptance because I've lived with cancer for 20 years. And so there was a big portion of my journey where I really wanted it to be gone. I wanted to be in remission and that wasn't possible for me, right? So does that mean I was failing? No, absolutely not. It did not mean I was failing, but I was equating living with cancer with failing because I worked so hard to try to cure myself naturally, right? And so I realized that there's a big difference between healing and curing. Curing may or may not happen. It's possible, but it's, it's not something that we can completely predict. Whereas healing is possible for us always in any stage of life, even at the moment of our death. And so... I think that comes back to this idea that acceptance is not, a, it's not black or white. 
It's not only when this is over, can I move on with my life? Acceptance is about living, as I say, in the magnificent gray and being very truthful with, yes, I lost my job and I lost my job because of whatever reason. And maybe part of it was because of something that I did, right? Maybe part of it was on me. And I'm going to accept that, but I'm also going to understand that this is could be a springboard for me. This could be a new chapter that's opening for me. And only I can walk through that. You know, mm-hmm. so I think in a lot of ways, acceptance is is the first step towards the life that you want to live, accepting where you are. Yeah, I mean, if I can say I feel like in the broader picture of what we've all learned about manifesting and the law of attraction in the last 10 or 20 years, this is kind of like the last stone that's been left unturned. (laughs) Um, And we are a lot about manifesting in my community. And I think it's so important for people to understand that they have to do this work in order to release the stuff that's keeping them stuck, you know, Mm -hmm. and that just might be about, you know, could be about going off and traveling or getting your dream job or finding a right person or whatever. And for me, this is almost like shadow work that has to be Mm -hmm. done in order to, to get through to that light that we're all after. So, and I do think there has been this cult of, you know, everything's okay, good vibes only, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you, you have to do all this hard work and that's what we do in my community at Full Moon and Darkman in particular, so that we do it. Like even if you only do it twice mm-hmm. a month, you sit down and you consciously try to work through everything. And to me that's in a way what you're talking about is so important because I think there is, you know, this worldwide movement of people who do start, who are starting to understand we do have a, a way to create our life, but we can't, I think we call it spiritual bypassing where you just mm-hmm. kind of, I'm not looking, I'm not looking, therefore it's not happening. Whereas what you're saying is, no, jump in and deal with it. And that's going to be much, much healthier, you know, even if you cry yourself a few new wrinkles, as, uh, <laughs> as I like to say. So, Chris, I mean, you've thought about it for a long time. So do you have an answer to the question of why we suppress our emotions? Do you think it's social conditioning, being told to be strong, fear of the deluge, you know, fear of the fear, as uh, the pain, as you said. I mean, I know many people are raised, you know, to be strong and not, you know, especially boys. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's all social conditioning or is it fear of the pain or what do you reckon? Why do we suppress our emotions? I think it's all of those things. There isn't one thing, but I also think we can go all the way back to the beginning of time, right, and our evolution. And we will do anything in our power to keep ourselves safe, we're wired to keep ourselves safe because safety equals survival. And some of these emotions can actually fear, feel so frightening that they threaten our very survival. Yeah. And so yeah, well, they think, do because people become suicidal. Yeah, that's absolutely true at the For extreme. But I, I would say that we, we also can even equate our deepest, darkest fears with those feelings, right? And so you don't even have to take it to that extreme to have a deluge of cortisol released in your body and stress hormones that are basically, this is what fight and flight actually looks like, right? So when you're meeting these emotions with a fight or flight response that you can't even control, of course, it's going to feel like, yeah, these are things I want to suppress. Yeah, exactly. So 
did you know that the composition of happy tears and sad tears is different? I actually did know that. Yes. I, I, I know, you know, this because when you write a book, you've got all these notes and you're like, okay, I got to get this in. I got to do that. Yeah. Let me do some research on that. And that actually did not make it in, in the final stretch, but I love that you bring that up. Tell us about that. Well, it's something I read not that long ago and it was actually under the title of the healing waters talking about mm. emotions and, uh, and and water, and and it was that yeah. Basically, if you analyze the composition of someone's tears when they cry tears of joy, the chemical makeup is actually different every time to when they cry tears of sadness. So the i the sort of the idea that was kind of extrapolated from this, you know, test this investigation that they did into it, was that in fact when we cry we are releasing some of the hormones or chemicals Mm -hmm. in our bodies that are responsible for our sadness, which is why we feel better after we cry because we've released some toxins, say, let's call them. And I know that that was part of your sort of epiphany, wasn't it, that we feel better after we've had a good old cry. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think we we feel better when we allow ourselves to feel so i talk about we can't amputate any of our emotions and expect to be whole yeah and i think that's probably the biggest lesson in the book and it's that permission to say all of my emotions serve a purpose they're information they're here to teach me and guide me there aren't certain emotions that are good and certain emotions that are bad and part of that wholeness is welcoming all the parts of myself home and saying, you are welcome at my table. If you had to give us your favorite practice from the book, the the practice you think that's really accessible, whether it's for people to accept or to release grief or to process. This idea that we want to sharpen our awareness. We want to tune our awareness in more. And first and foremost, a lot of us have no idea what we're feeling, right? And so how can we tend to these things if we can't even identify them? So I like to talk about starting with the very, very basics, basics, which is basically naming it, naming what you're feeling. And I remember an old acting teacher of mine had an exercise that we would do called, she called calling conditions. And we would get up, this was before we did scene work or any, you know, kind of work that we were working on an audition, let's say. And she would just have us call out how we were feeling, like one word at a time, you know, not a whole sentence, not a whole paragraph describing our whole lives, but like happy, anxious, hungry, angry, pissed off, bored, you know, just to actually start to get in touch with those feelings because those feelings were and are our tools, right, as actors, but they're our tools as people, right? And so I would say starting with that, name it. Even you can even try that calling conditions exercise because when you start to get it um, connected to more more to how you're feeling, not only does that help you process what you need to process, learn more about yourself, get to know yourself more, but I think you start to become more connected to other people as well. Right. So maybe every morning, just when you're doing your journaling, call your condition and write it down. Write it down. You can. That's a beautiful idea, actually. You know, even like taking the sentence um, prompt of like, "How am I feeling?" Yeah. Ask yourself that. How am I feeling? Or how are you feeling? Ask yourself that question. Write it down in your journal, and then let it out. 
just starting yeah. there. It makes a big difference. And another question, which I, I didn't, I just sort of right now on the spot, but I wonder, you know, as parents, what parents can do for their kids, because obviously parents tell that, raise their children, you know, don't shout, don't scream, don't cry, blah, 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 blah. I know that with my son, I was always very proud. I am very proud of him. And, you know, it was always when he was little, he wouldn't cry when he fell over. And I'm not blaming my mother, but she used to always be going, oh, don't worry, darling, you're fine, you're fine. So I started to do that as well. And I now I sort of think I wasn't holding space for him to be upset. So now I'm very much like, it's okay if you feel upset. I, I feel bad that I said that, Mum, if you hear this, I'm sorry, you're lovely, you're great and you're amazing. <laughs> but I feel like maybe in before we didn't allow people, we didn't hold space for people, to, kids to feel their emotions. Do you have any thoughts about that? I think that's absolutely true. I'm not a parent, so I'm definitely not a parenting expert. But um, I am always so wildly impressed and, and you know, I, I like to be an observer of life and when I see kids, the other day we were we were in London actually, and we were taking a beautiful walk in this park. And this little girl was just like so excited about the day and about the fall foliage and about the peacock she saw and the, just pure exuberance. And she just let out this wild scream of delight, you know. And I was so just in my own joy to be in the presence of that scream. And to some people, it might have sound like a total, you know, screech, like, Shh, don't do that in public. But as adults, if we can start to pay attention to more of our childlike impulses, no, not necessarily saying that we scream at the top of our lungs in a park, but think about how often we suppress those childlike impulses, including our childlike curiosity. Right? Because I feel like curiosity is the heart of all healing. Without curiosity, we don't even find our path. So again, I'm not a parent, but I I do remember being a child and being very afraid to feel certain emotions or to share them because I might be punished for them. And one of the key things for me in, in my childhood was not expressing anger and it was also not expressing sadness. So don't cry. There's no reason to cry. Right. So when we absorb these messages, obviously they permeate into our adult lives and what we don't feel one way will come out another way. It can come out in good ways. It can come out in negative ways. It can come out in disease. So that's why these things are so important. And every parent out there who is giving their child to your, in your words, that space to hold that container for those emotions. That's incredible. Think about the people that they can become. Okay. And last question before we tell people where to find you, where do we draw the line on grief? You know, is there a line like, I'm sorry, but your marriage broke up three years ago and you're still sad? Or I'm sorry, but your dad died five years ago and you still keep talking about it all the time. Do we draw the line or we just grieve for as long as we need to? I think that that would be a very arbitrary line. And, you know, that's putting people in boxes. And so you just might, if you're in that place where it is still as painful as the day. And there are moments when I think, you know, Carl Jung has a great saying, and this is not his exact words, but like we keep orbiting around the same themes throughout our life. And with each orbit, we pass a new layer of meaning of growth 
And for me, that orbiting is the mechanism of our healing. It's not something that has a timeline. And oftentimes if there you put, impose a timeline on it, it's for somebody else's comfort, not your own. And you're not here to make other people feel better. You're here to make yourself feel better. And so give yourself that permission. There's nothing wrong with you if you're still feeling deep grief around loss. Loss is the other side of love. We can't have one without the other. The deeper you love, the deeper you're going to grieve. Please don't put that into a box. Now, if it's something that you're really struggling with, we can't do life without support, period. So you may need to go deeper with the help of a therapist, you know, with a counselor, whatever it is that you are called to, but it's not something that we can traverse on our own oftentimes, especially if we're, we're kind of stuck in our grief. Um, but there's nothing wrong with you. I mean, I'm not a psychologist or, um, there we go. I'm not a psychologist or a book critic, but I honestly think that this book is covering a hugely important subject. Uh, I think there's been a lot of emphasis on trauma in the last five or ten mm -hmm. years, and this is almost what you're left with after trauma, which is yeah. all the, the pain and the grief that you, so it's sort of like it's almost picking up where trauma work leaves off in a way. So well done. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you holding for holding space for this topic because, you know, it, it is a difficult topic and I always appreciate the people who are willing to traverse it with me and I appreciate you. Oh, thanks, Chris. Well, I honestly think it's a very important topic. And I mean, in my work, I've had people saying to me, and it wasn't, it was someone who didn't know what I what I do, obviously, because if they knew, they wouldn't have said it. But I remember one person at one point saying, you know, oh, it's just so, you know, stupid. You can't just make wishes and focus on the positive and think everything's going to be okay. It's like, no, I've always said Actually, it's what you do at full moon when you hand it all over the divine, you for forgive, you release, you process, you analyze, and at the dark moon, that's actually what makes the magic. It's the letting go because otherwise you're just full of upset and yeah. trauma and drama and you're just going to ex attract more of that to you. So, I, I mean, I think it's a hugely important subject and I wonder if it's the first or one of the, maybe the first book in the mainstream that's going to start to deal with it and we're going to start to be interesting to see what happens to the world if we all start processing and dealing with our grief a bit better. I'm with you. you know, I want to add one more thing because you and I use different language, but we clearly believe and um, practice very, very similar things. And so as I talked about our emotions being information, I want to also say that our emotions are energy, right? And so if we think about caring for our emotions, what we're truly caring for is our energy, our vibration, our frequency. And that to me is how I stay positive and how I stay um, receptive to all of the goodness that life has to offer me, but also not shunning the things that I feel are too painful, right? It's yeah. about opening to all of it, but mostly to me, being very thoughtful about tending to our energy. Um, so my fellow energy lover, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to add that to the mix before we run. I love it. 
Thank you, Chris. Yeah. So, Chris, obviously, tell us where everyone can find you. There's chriscar.com, Chris with a K and one S mm -hmm. and car with a double R. I'll put it in the show notes, obviously. Where else can people find you? That's a good spot on Instagram. I'm at Crazy Sexy Chris, and the book is available wherever books are sold. Yay. All right. Well, thank you very much. It's been brilliant talking to you. Me and too. Uh, and I'll, uh, I'll see you again sometime. Thank you for listening to the Mainly Moonology podcast. If you want to take Moonology to the next level and manifest the life of your dreams, join our growing community of magical people who come together to lift each other up as we meditate, manifest, and reclaim the magic that has been inside us all along. Head over to mainlymoonologymembership.com and awaken your true powers.